evangelism. How many of you enjoy it? Three people. God bless you all three. It's one of those topics that's like, oh, do we have to talk about this again? And the answer is yes. Today is the day. We're going to talk about it today. But I want to present some things about evangelism that might be just a little bit different than maybe what you've heard in the past. I had a conversation with Ken at lunch earlier in the last week. We were chatting and he shared with me that our brother who is the, uh, and his name slipped my mind, but he's the missionary in Latvia. You guys know who I'm talking about. Victor, yes. He was, uh, he was here at the church several years ago. Made a presentation to the congregation, I think on a Wednesday night, and he offered an observation that I think is most appropriate for the world in which we live. He made a, a comparison to where we live today and where the church was in the first century. How many of you remember the book of Acts chapter 2? Somewhere around verse 38, they were baptized. How many souls were added to the church? How many? 3,000! Three, have you ever been in a, an assembly where there were even 3,000 people? Yes, we have one brother who has been there. Good. Uh, yeah. Have you ever been at an assembly where 3,000 people accepted Christ and were baptized that afternoon? I'm going to guess that there's never been a duplicate of that. I doubt that it ever happened again. And the reason it probably never happened again is because there weren't that many people all in one place to hear a message again. That's the reality of it. Have you ever been in a church assembly where three or four or five hundred people ever got baptized? Mm, no takers? How about 30? How about three? Three's a good number. What's up? Where did we miss the ball? Where did we miss the, the way to present such compelling conversation or sermon or lifestyle alternative that would not entice thousands upon thousands of people to come to Jesus. What happened to the message? Well, I think there's something unique in what Victor shared was that we don't live in Jerusalem anymore. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, where we live in the United States of America, especially in California, especially in this state, we live probably somewhere closer to what Athens or Rome looked like than what would will ever be Jerusalem. Do you understand what I'm saying when I make that contrast and comparison? Because the world that we live in is a little bit different than the world of Jerusalem. On any given Sunday, statistically in the state of California, somewhere between 25 and 35% of the population of the entire state are sitting in a church building somewhere. That means somewhere between 65 and 75% of us in the state of California are sitting at home or we're at the lake, or we're doing whatever it is that we do on Sunday mornings, and we're not in church. I want you to think about this with me. Part of the reason that evangelism isn't as compelling for us as maybe it once was is because we're not really sure why we should even be talking about it. A few of us in the room are old enough and have been around the churches of Christ long enough to remember that back in the 40s and the 50s and 60s, we were deemed as being one of the fastest growing, if not perhaps the fastest growing church in North America. Anybody remember that expression being banted around by folks? You remember that? Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but that's what we said about ourselves. We like to say that. And I want you to think about this. Why do we do that? Why were we able, back a few generations ago, to express about ourselves that we were perhaps the fastest growing group in North America? 
What was there about our message? Well, I would submit to you that we understood why we were doing it. Because back in the day, if I can use that expression lovingly, back in the day, we had a very, very distinct dogma and understanding an expectation of what an individual should or should not do in order to become a Christian, a believer in Christ. You know what I'm saying? We used to do that. We had a very, very distinct, absolute, I'm going to use that expression, it was an absolute dogma that you had to do this. And if you didn't do it this way, we had the reputation in the world of churches that if you didn't do it our way, guess what? You were not going to go to heaven. Can you remember that? You know, things have changed a little. There's one thing that has changed, and I'm happy to say this. We, in our fellowship of churches, came to understand a new word in our vocabulary. It's called grace. Because grace wasn't necessarily a part of that. It was a part, but it wasn't nearly as much of an influential part in that teaching that when we had that dogma stuff going on. We understand grace a little bit better. And we understand what baptism really is maybe a little more clearly than we used to. Maybe we should have a little bit more of that firm dogma. I don't know, but I'm just offering to you that things have changed a lot in our world. In our world. I'm talking about right here in this building, in our fellowship, in our churches. Things have changed in our world. And I'm not sure that any of us too much think about anymore why we should be talking to someone about Jesus. Oftentimes when we begin conversations about evangelism, it's more about, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? And ultimately it comes down to one of two things. Do you want to be a door knocker or not? And I don't mean to be so blunt about that, but that's the reality of it. It comes down to, do we want to go out and knock doors in our neighborhood or do we not? Social media is great. We can get likes on Facebook all day long. We, we can get tens of thousands of likes. But tens of thousands of likes on Facebook doesn't necessarily bring anyone into the building. You get what I'm saying? And we could have LinkedIn accounts, and we could have Instagram, and we can have Snapchat, and we can have all of those other wonderful social media things. Twitter, we could even do Twitter. But Twitter doesn't get anybody in the church building, per se. And it certainly doesn't necessarily get them into what you and I refer to as baptism. Are you with me so far? So it comes down to oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, we spend more time trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it rather than why we should even be doing it. And so I want to offer to you this morning a couple of observations and comments about why we might want to consider being engaged in this thing called evangelism. There's a verse, a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 3. I'd like to take you there. I'd like to read some of this with you. Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 10 the Apostle Paul writes these words. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. I don't want to get political with you this morning, but if you watched any of those hearings this week, you would have to say amen. amen. It's crazy the world we live in. It's just crazy. All 
have turned away, they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Does that sound like anywhere where you live today? That sounds like where we live. And we may not like that description, and it may not reflect our personal values, but let me share a secret with you. That sounds like where we live in a significant way. Because I'm here to share with you guys, most of the world that are around us don't have any fear of God. They could care less. And it's not so much that they don't care. It's more that they don't know that they should care. Do you understand the difference? If you don't know what you don't know, and it were important to you, how soon would you like to know? The world around us is remarkably different than it was in the 40s and 50s. Any given community you would go into in the 40s and 50s, even into the 60s, an overwhelming majority of the people who lived around you would show up at a church on a Sunday because that's just kind of who we were then. We're not that now. And so it begs the question, why do we need to have these conversations that are about evangelism? And I would offer to you, it's because most of the world doesn't know that they even need God. They don't know. I'll share a couple of stories with you, real stories, friends of mine who are professors and teachers. One was the teacher of 10th grade students at Greater Atlanta Christian School in Norcross, Georgia. John Clovis taught for over 35 years at that school. He taught 10th grade Bible forever. Was chatting with him one day in the teacher's lounge and he made a statement to me that was very, very concerning. And now you realize this statement happened almost 20 years ago? Because I haven't worked at that school since 2000. So it's over almost 20 years ago, probably plus 20 years that he made this statement to me. And the world has changed a lot in the last 20 years. But John made this statement to me. He's teaching children in a Christian school in 10th grade Bible, the life of Christ. That was his topic. And he said, Ed, when I started teaching here... 30 years ago, everyone that showed up into my class, they knew who Jesus was. They'd heard the John the Baptist story. They knew who the apostles were. Many of them could even name the 12 apostles. They knew the life of Christ. He said, now when I start my class at the beginning of the school year, I cannot expect even a third of them to know who Jesus is or who John the Baptist is or anything about the life of Christ. Not a reflection on the school. It's a reflection on the community. Some of you are acquainted with Lagarde Smith. F. Lagarde Smith used to be a professor at the law school at Pepperdine. Had the opportunity to hear him speak at Pepperdine 
the last year that he was teaching before he retired and decided to just spend the rest of his life writing books and commuting between England and the United States. And I can't quote Lagarde exactly, but he was referring to one of the core reasons that caused him to leave the classroom and not teach at the law school at Pepperdine anymore. He said in his, in his first year law school class, which is kind of an intro to law, he asked the students this question. When Hitler was rising into power and when Hitler did all of the things that Hitler did as the leader of Nazi Germany, was he right or was he wrong in imprisoning and killing millions of Jews? And he said overwhelmingly, most of the student population refused to give him an answer as to whether it was right or wrong because no one felt that they were worthy of passing judgment on a man because they weren't there and it was all relative to the circumstances in which he found himself and they really couldn't give an answer as to whether it was right or wrong. And that was one of the compelling reasons that caused him to decide it's time for me to retire. That was probably 15 years ago, maybe 10 when I heard Lagarde say that. And the world is different today. So when we think about this whole thing of evangelism, how do we do it? And what are we going to do with it? And, and we, could, we could talk till the cows come home, as the old expression goes, about how we're going to do it and what we're going to do. But the reality is until we understand why we even need to be having the conversation with anyone about Jesus, the methodology is, is a moot point. And it doesn't matter how we do it. And it doesn't matter what we're going to do. What matters is why do we even need to have the conversation. And so it's not a matter of how we do it or what we're going to do. It's a matter of why. Why should I even speak with someone about faith? And in the world where most of us work, we are discouraged. As a matter of fact, it could cost us our jobs. If we sat around the coffee shop or the break room and had conversations with people about Jesus and about God and the Holy Spirit. So why is evangelism important? I'll give you a sneak preview as to what's coming. In Revelation 20, The Apostle John, in writing this letter called the Revelation, he says this, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done and it had been recorded in the book. The sea gave up the dead that were in them. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And then, then, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have gone away. He was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. 
And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy. And he said this to me. He said, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I'll give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit this and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly and the unbelieving and the vile and the murderers and the sexually immoral and those who practice magic arts and the idolaters and all of the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur and that is the second death. You see, the reason why we need to be willing to talk about Jesus is simply because there will come a day when everybody you know will stand before the judgment seat of God. Everybody. I play this little game with sales reps and managers that I train across the country and I, and I have them do this with me because the nature of the work that we're in, there's no one in the world that's not a potential candidate for the, for the business I'm in. And so I have them pull out their phone. And then I invite them to go to their contacts list. And on their contacts list, I just ask them to start scrolling down. And I'd like for them to see all of the names of the people that they know with whom they've never had a conversation Aaron and Lizzie, they're first on my list. We've talked. A.C. Odilio, he's a manager in Houston, Texas, great young man. We've talked. And Adam Minya, member of the church at Bamel, wonderful young man, studying to be a minister. We've talked. Adela Kasabosh, wonderful young lady, We've talked. Addie Kent, sales manager at Westminster. Great guy, good friend. Saw him just a couple of weeks ago. He watches me on Facebook when we can get live stream working. Freaked me out. We've talked. Adrian Sanchez, a dear friend of mine who lives in Orange County. We've talked. We've prayed. Eileen Tokini. A dear friend who lives up in Santa Rosa, California, her daughter almost lost their house in the fires last year. She and her husband, Dan, we prayed and we've talked. And I could go on and on and on with people in my phone. And there's some people in here with whom I haven't talked. And that bothers me. And I'm wondering who's in your phone. And I'm wondering why. And I'm wondering if we love them enough to talk to them. powerful tool. It's a bit incriminating though, isn't it? 
kind of like opening your checkbook and seeing where all the money went right after we accepted the collection for the church. It's a little incriminating sometimes. Guys, it's about why. It's not what we do. It's not how we do it. It's just a matter of do we love people enough to have the courage to say anything with them about why we are the people that we are. And I'm not asking you to sit and quote verses of Scripture to them. I'm not asking you to sit and open the Bible with them and start reading. As a matter of, Ken, can I tell the story you shared with me the other day? I mean, Ken's having a Bible study with this guy. He was telling me this at lunch the other day. He's having a Bible study with this guy. And to get a few minutes into the conversation, and the guy looks up at Ken and says, Hey, Ken, what's the Old Testament? <laughs> and Ken assumes that he knew the Old Testament. Does that sound like any conversations you and I have ever had? Sounds like some I've had. We, we can't assume people know anything about God because guess what? A lot of them don't. So how do you begin this conversation? This is the list that Paul has in Romans 3. These are people that live in our world. These are people you'll see today and tomorrow and this week. No one seeks God. If that isn't representative of so many in our country, I don't know what is. No one seeks God. They've all turned away. There's no one who does good, not even one. The lies. Some of you remember Revelation 21.8. There's, there's a little kitty song that goes with that. Any of you remember a little kitty song? Revelation, Revelation 21.8, 21.8. Liars go to hell, liars go to hell. Burn, burn, burn. You never heard that song? <laughs> Maybe that's an Alabamaism. I don't know. Maybe so. Guys, listen. There are people in the world all around us who don't know who God is. This is a description of many of them in our world. And you can't begin conversations with them by saying, by the way, do you understand what Acts 2.38 says? It says, repent and be baptized for the mystery of your sins. You, you can't start there. Because they have no idea what repentance even is. They don't even know who Jesus is to repent. Why repent? What's he got to do with any of this? There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's for sure. And there's no fear because they don't understand. If they understood, they would fall on their face. Because I'm telling you guys, read the book. Anyone that ever came into the presence of one of the angels of God or God, they fell on their face. When they finally realized their true position in life, they just fell on their face because they knew they had nothing, nothing to bring before God of their own. So our job in this whole thing of evangelism isn't about how we're going to do it. It's not even what we're going to do. It's not even where we're going to do it. It's all about understanding how we have to have this longing and this, this burning desire in our heart that says, I have to tell you. I have to speak with you. I have to tell you why I am the way that I am. That's what this is about. It's about why we have a conversation. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a song. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story today. You have to come back next week to hear some reasons why. And you have to come back next week to hear and understand a little bit as to how we can begin these conversations. I told you I was just going to give you a teaser today. This is the teaser. So come back next week and bring somebody with you. Bring somebody that usually sits beside you in church this morning who happens not to be here. Call them and say, hey, dude, you need to be at church Sunday. Because Ed's got some things to say. So invite them to come too. But I want you to realize that there's this whole 
way of looking at our lives that's remarkably different than what it was a couple of generations ago. It's not old school evangelism. Welcome to the new world. And it's not the easiest. It's not the easiest. Because <clears throat> I don't think there's ever been another time when we baptize 3,000 in one day. And we'll be lucky to get three on a Sunday. I'm telling you guys, it's different. But until we change the inside of us and change why we are who we are, none of the rest of it's ever going to matter. So come back next week and we'll begin that conversation about why we do what we do and then begin to look at some of the things about how we go about doing it and what we can do and then what some of the results might be. I invite you to come back. This Sunday morning right now, we're here because all of us love the Lord. You wouldn't have come here if you didn't. Well, except maybe some of you kids who didn't have a choice. But you're learning to love the Lord because your mom and daddy are teaching you to. But I want you to know that we're here for you. That's why we're here. As we sing this song that Brandon's going to lead us in, if there's any way that we can help you, I invite you to come. You can come here and let us know. You can jot it on a piece of paper and give it to one of the elders later. We can pray with you now. We can baptize you now if you've never done that. There's all kinds of ways that we can help you, but that's why we are here. We're family. We want you to let us love on you. But if you don't tell us, sometimes it's hard to know. Let's stand and encourage one another as we sing this song.